here we are. This is Sex Love Psychedelics, and I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Bringing you psychosexual conversations that will leave you intellectually turned on and hungry for more. Hey lovers, can you make your cock bigger naturally? Asking for a friend. (laughs) That's one of the questions that we get to answer on this episode. But even more than that, we talk about the cultural pressure around what it means to be quote unquote masculine, who gets to be it, what changes levels of testosterone is affecting the health and the functioning in our men, and what we can do about this. Because we want men to be sexually healthy and pleasured too. Today, I have my dear friend and sex expert, biohacker, Jackson Hightower, here to talk about the layers of contributing factors to low levels of testosterone and why so many of us actually, maybe unintentionally, be making these issues worse for ourselves. Because we're looking outside of ourselves for these answers through pharmaceuticals or through quick fixes, rather than coming back home into ourselves, into our body, and building the conscious awareness here in order to resolve the symptoms and get our needs met. We even share our own personal and professional takes on porn and masturbation and gender identity and why the controversial debates aren't so black and white. But before we get to Jackson, you here on my podcast and on Instagram at Sex Love Yoga about sex and psychedelics, I am a big believer in their interweaving. And as I said before, I believe it needs to be approached with reverence, care, and education. Lots of people out there saying have sex on psychedelics, and that's cool. But if you have proper education, sexy rituals, and internal work guidance from an expert like me, then you can transform your experience from just a good time into something that's really potent and powerful and life-changing for your life and your love. I want you to have the sex that leaves you feeling so deeply satisfied and heart-filled And right now, I have just opened enrollment for my four-week course for Sex of Psychedelics Ritual. Each class is live as I guide you through a potent space of exploration and discovery. I will share with you how you can transform sex from being something on your to-do list to being an experience for expansion, both in your sex and yourself. We get into the pleasure mechanics around sex, how you can incorporate more playfulness in the bedroom, harm reduction practices for psychedelics, sexual rituals, and sensual journeys in sex. So if you have been feeling that your sex life could be so much more, babe, I completely agree. And I don't even know your sex life, (laughs) but I want to share this with you. This course is for all genders because I believe that all bodies deserve to be worshipped at the altar of Eros. The link is in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. Now to Jackson Hightower, who is a biohacker and men's sexual health expert and founder of Natural Jackson, providing natural solutions for men's sexual vitality. And my dear friend here in Los Angeles, so stoked to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So I've known Jackson for several years now, and I remember as I was sitting here preparing for our show, I was um, remembering one of our earlier hangs, and we were talking shop about Neo-Tantra and some of the wild energetic experiences that we had. And I have to say that you, my experience of you, and one thing that I really admire about um, you as, as a guy who's really taking the time to cultivate his sexuality is that you both stay connected with your erotic energy and you hold it. So I don't see you using your sexual energy to like uh, unconsensually penetrate people or to like mm. pull them in, but it's all, it, you just kind of like hold it and run it without it leaking. And I, I think there's so many people who just need, I think that is a skill to cultivate. And I think it's really important to how can we have erotic energy in our space mm. without it feeling dangerous. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's a nice reflection. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's 
you know, I, I don't know if it's something that's ingrained when you're young or something that you learn and you develop and you cultivate when you're older and you can hone it and refine it and make it more, um, you know, sort of like synthesized within you. But it's definitely, you know, I have a background in a lot of like physical practices, martial arts and things like that. So it's like having that body awareness when, from a young age and then learning the sexual arts as I've gotten older and then sort of combining those two um, has been impactful for me, you know. And then when you're a young guy, it's like, you're out in the world trying to, you know, do things that young guys are doing. And then as you get older and you start to realize like the effects that that those actions have, and then it's about having the discipline and the respect for those practices and for sexuality in general, um, mm -hmm. and you can become, I guess, more grounded and solid in that. And so it's, mm -hmm. it becomes part of you, but it's, but you're not like leaking it necessarily, you know? Yeah. Or using it as a manipulative tactic or as, you know, like this, um, yeah, undercurrent of something to get something. And, and I think for many of the male clients that I've worked with, there can be a fear around their own eroticism, around their own sexual energy. And so they almost like separate it or segment it as in like, they can't connect to that sexual energy because of all the associations with men's sexuality being dangerous or the me too movement, or, you know, not wanting to be perceived as a creep or making people uncomfortable. But like, so it's like, how do we find that balance between still being connected to our sexuality, but not, yeah. Like holding it, running yeah. it ourselves without it going yeah. out onto people. I totally hear that. So interestingly enough, so I, I've, I, my background is I've done the martial arts, more of like the young aggressive type stuff. When I was younger, I have a black belt in Taekwondo. I've done Gojiru, which is a Japanese karate. But then in, in my practice of yoga for you know, almost 20 years, um, Tantra, Pilates, uh, like just dancing and being like, I mean, that's actually a really interesting one is because I, I love to dance. And yeah. as you know, but like <laughs> dancing, dancing allows energy to flow in your body in a way that is different than the martial arts, which are a bit, which is a bit more rigid. Right. Yeah. And so when you combine that, you have the martial, which is the harder with it, with like dancing and Pilates and yoga, which are much more, I would say like feminine and softer. Mm -hmm. Um, it, then the energy kind of like, is just in you you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then you just, you know, and then obviously it's having the discernment of when do you express it more? Like when is it appropriate mm -hmm. in a situation, you know, but yeah, um, I think that yeah. combination has been interesting for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I always see this, this balance between like creating a sense of container for yourself through the martial arts, like the strength piece, but then the fluidity. So that energy can actually flow through your body, through the dance or the Pilates. And, yeah. 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 Very cool. This, it, this brings up this, I was reading um, some research recently around the, uh, around the levels of testosterone for men. And mm. it was saying how recently there's uh, reports of one out of four men over the age of 30 with low testosterone and one in 20 clinical symptoms related to the deficiency. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> Since this conversation has been brought to light for me, I've like seen everywhere now where people are giving all these different remedies for low testosterone or clients are coming to me afraid that they have low testosterone or worried if their mm -hmm. symptoms of, of fatigue are, are related to that. And it always just like, I, I always have, before I can give any sort of answers to anybody or tell them that red light therapy on their ball sack is going to help them to increase their desert. I was like, I understand what is happening here myself. And then even like how research can be biased in and of itself when it's presented. So, so can you help all the men and the women and all, well, really anybody out there who's listening to this, understand what is this? Is this sensationalized? Is this, you know, what's the reality around this? Yeah. Um, it's not sensationalized. So a lot of the, the research that I've done and has shown, and these are studies that are in NCBI and PubMed, is that testosterone levels have dropped 40% uh, over the last 40 years on the, for the average male. So that's 1% per year, um, which is uh, astonishing. And so this is like, you know, guys that are in their 30s and 40s now have testosterone levels that guys who are 60s and 70 had in like the 70s or 80s. You know, and that's it, it's 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 a significant and it's drastic. Um, and it's one of those things that's interesting because it doesn't just like happen immediately. Right. It's taken mm -hmm. a long it's like a long like a death of a thousand cuts. Right. It's taken a really, really long time for it to happen. And now we're sort of just noticing it. 
some of the doctors that I work with who are in their 60s and 70s, um, they, you know, they say when I was treating patients when I was in, you know, in my 20s and 30s, the T levels for men were, you know, generally always, you know, over a thousand. Um, and now you'd be hard pressed to find, you know, even guys in their thirties who have natural testosterone over a thousand. Um, so the markers keep moving, right? The mm -hmm. markers move. And so now it's like, oh, the normal range is you know, 300 to 600, um, which, you know, is, is just much lower. Um, I have opinions and thoughts on sort of why it's happening and what's going on. Um, most of it's environmental, I would say, mm. you know, there's a whole host of issues that are happening um, in our environment with chemicals and, you know, things that we absorb through our skin, through, you know, through our body, through drinking, um, through eating foods um, that are major, major, major contributors to lower testosterone um, because they act like estrogen. Xenoestrogens, right? I've had somebody yeah. on my show talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Xenoestrogens, phytoestrogens, um, they, they're they chemicals that basically mimic the effects of estrogen, but they're everywhere. And especially in the United States, we have a real issue with it because we have no regulations on any chemicals whatsoever. Europe is, is, is quite good. Um, even China has better regulations against some of these stuff than the United States does, which is pretty, it's pretty embarrassing. Um, but, you know, over time, you know, these things have been studied. This is parabens, this is phthalates, this is um, mycotoxins, this is atrazine that's sprayed in all non-organic crops. Um, this is food dyes. This is the stuff that's in, you know, uh, uh, sunscreen, um, you know, for NBC and, and things like that. So like you have, and even like female birth control in the water supply, mm -hmm. women urinate it out, it gets in the water supply and men are showering with it, you know? So these are all of the factors combined, which are taking its toll on, on, on men. And what's interesting, Kat, is like, when you talk about it, infusing a man's body with more estrogen, um, that's sort of like antithetical to like ma masculinity is defined by the, their testosterone. Testosterone is the male hormone. It is what makes a man a man. And so what happens is you're flooding your system with more and more estrogen as a man. And what these phytoestrogens do is they sort of like, I mean, in very simple terms, like they kind of like hap, they like, they don't allow the testosterone to, con to be converted. And they like, they create less opportunities for testosterone to be available. And they're stored in fat, they're stored in fat. You know, they love mm -hmm. fat. So these phytoestrogens are stored in fat, which means that if you're obese or if you weigh, if you have more fat on your body, you're going to automatically have more of them in your system, um, which is, which is pretty, you know, interesting. So it's like, you know, that's part of it, but, you know, I, I, all of them combined over the years. Um, so like slowly inundating men's bodies with these, with these chemicals and it's deteriorating men's testosterone levels. And so it, it affects their behaviors, their emotions, um, you know, their, their body, um, their drive, their will. Testosterone is kind of like the drive and the will and like the zest that you have for life, right? Like sure. if you have higher levels of testosterone, it's going to accentuate whoever it is that you are. Um, but when they're basically being dampened, oh, you know, every year over and over and over again, you're seeing it, I think maybe systemically in our society is that we're not a testosterone, you know, driven society anymore. And the men don't mm -hmm. have that sort of, that, you know, impetus. And so it, it raises a lot of other sort of issues and questions with like, well, where are we going as a society? But from a physiological so, perspective, tea is very important for men, not just like for lifting weights. It's important for everything, for sexual function, you know, for their, their mental, you know, to, it's linked to depression and things like that. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say what constitutes low levels of, of testosterone? Like what, um, what would be a danger sign for that? So like under, I mean, in, in my personal opinion, it's like anything under 400 is, is usually pretty low. Um, okay. The other marker that I recommend men look at is obviously free testosterone. So most of your yeah. testosterone is bound. It should be about 2% of your testosterone should be free and available. Um, mm -hmm. And the hormone that binds it is called sex hormone binding globulin, which is like, mm -hmm. if you can figure out how to reduce that, and that increases your free, and that means that you have more bioavailable. So even if your level of T is you know six, five or six hundred, but you have a good amount of free as a percentage, you're going to be doing okay as long as you don't have other symptoms. Um, mm -hmm. But what we're finding is that like a lot of men just their levels are super low, and their free is less than two percent, and their SHBG is really high, um, mm -hmm. and it's causing a whole host of issues um, because you know they're just not able to function like as they would necessarily. 
Mm-hmm. And what would that what would that be as a function necessarily? So obviously it messes with our sex sexual desire or um, uh, erections, but are there other symptoms that we're seeing and how that's impacting? You said the culture, which I'm really curious about. Yeah. How are we seeing that influence the culture? So physiologically, it's it's you know your ability to build muscle and maintain mm-hmm. muscle, which is obviously important for men as they age because it gets harder and harder. Um, it's, you know, the libido and the circulation and the arousal. Um, it also is a huge factor for depression. Depression is a big, big, big issue. So they have a bunch of um, interesting research on um, atrazine, which is like this major crop, the major chemical that's sprayed in crops all around the world. And in India in particular, um, a lot of, there were a lot of suicides that were happening as a result of these Indian farmers needing to compete and they had to spray their crops with atrazine. The atrazine has all of these really intense phytoestrogens and chemicals in it that lead to depression, which then lead to suicide. So low testosterone is, is sort of like your general attitude about life. Like, you know, having sort of Mm -hmm. like a lack of like the will and the drive to move forward. Um, And so I guess, you know, then the question becomes how does that affect society at large, right? Like where are we as a society and and these are these are these are much more sort of like just a general opinions, but you know, sure. what kind of a society are we living in now versus 50 or 60 years ago? What type of men, you know, are being groomed and created now? And what type of men are we being as we sort of move forward? And I don't know, I get a lot of feedback that men have changed significantly. And, you know, I think that it's not just because of those movements, the Me Too movement, stuff like that. Like physiologically, we are under attack. Right. And so if our body doesn't have the, the the hormones that make us in our mass and more in our masculine, the drive, the will, the protector, like how do we create for our families and for our children? Right. If we have less of that, then, you know, where are we going? You know, and so it, it, the testosterone isn't just like getting a good erection. That's obviously an important part of it. It's it's a whole host of other things. It affects your entire well-being. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that people think testosterone is this really bad you know, uh, hormone. It's not, if you're, if you haven't dealt with your issues and you have anger and aggression and whatever it is like, and you have high levels of testosterone, sure. You, you know, you, you need to work on that, but they're not, mm-hmm. it's not causal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Testosterone yeah. is incredibly important for yeah. masculine health. Yeah. And it is for everyone. We all have testosterone. Yeah, it just right. is. Yeah. The different levels. And then uh, God, this brings up such excellent questions of even around the concept of gender identity, you know, as we're seeing a lot and of change in the culture, you know, where the younger generation is queerifying more, mm-hmm. um, and becoming a lot less, uh, more towards androgyny almost. <laughs> and, you know, and it just is, you know, there's like layers and layers here that I think is it's, and I think the conversation of testosterone, like you're saying is, a part of the a part of the bigger whole of this conversation of evolution and change and um and how <clears throat> yeah I, I don't know if that even if that no, conversation it, is way too tangled <laughs> it, it's pretty deep and you know it gets yeah. to that are very very um sort of that have become politicized but yeah um, yeah you know it, you're right this sort of like this movement towards this the androgyny as you said um, but yeah, I mean, you know, these, these phytoestrogens and, and toxic chemicals, they're called endocrine disrupting chemicals, EDC, I believe is what they're called. They're passed from mother to child. So this isn't just like, you know, it, it, it's part and parcel of like what your parents are experiencing mm-hmm. as you're born. And then obviously growing up and having, you know, being a child with more of these phytoestrogens in your chemical makeup when you're younger, mm-hmm. of course, it's going to give you a, a different perspective. And you, and, and, you know, what I think is interesting is the feelings and the, you know, I believe that a lot of these children who are growing up, they really are confused. And I believe that the reason is because there is zero regulation on what kind of chemicals we're putting in our environment, right? There's mm-hmm. none. And so if we continue to flood our environment with all of the stuff that's causing these issues, we're just going to have more and more and more of it. You know, um, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, is some of the stuff like just crazy, like some of this, these, these chemicals um, in, have been shown in like, you know, um, small fish and rats to like create gonadal changes with a very small amount of exposure. That means that their sex changes. Mm-hmm. 
but you know. Wow, that's so, so fucking fascinating. <laughs> to a fish in a very short period of time, obviously it's going to happen to humans. It's going to take longer, but like yeah. that's that's what's happening. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's 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 touchy. It's a it's a challenging yeah. thing to embrace. You know? Yeah. Uh, and as the whole picture, you know, it is looking at the intersection of nature versus nurture. You know, the nurture, the culture, the family culture, the beliefs, the programming, and then nature to also understand what's happening hormonally and in our and the chemicals and and the it's not one one conversation or another. It's the yeah the interweaving of of both of these yeah. that I find really fascinating and important. Yeah, and there's actually you know so I read something the other day about like like biological sex versus gender, right? And I think yeah. that there's like, there's a shift there and, and you know, mm-hmm. biological sex, I believe there's two, but gender, there's many, you know what I mean? And so that's the, that's the shift. So like biologically, like there's only two things that you can be, but then gender, you know, is what happens when these hormones and things like infiltrate your system, you know, over time. And then they're creating all these different um, demarcations, you know, that we're now, you know, becoming more popularized. Yeah. Or the more that we become sexually liberated or the more that we become consciously aware of the construct of gender, we, we can start um, breaking away or creating our own. And, and yeah, we're just such in a, in a wild time of evolution on all these parts, I think. Um, so this is really, really in- interesting to me. So let's talk uh, pharma versus DIY solutions, because I know your whole brand is around natural strategies for men's sexual health. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that that they can do to support, or how would you suggest that they support um, themselves versus you know getting a script for horm- or hormone therapy or um, yeah your perspective around yeah. that? Um, my perspective is as natural as possible for as long as possible. Mm. Now, um, as a man you know, as we're getting older in our forties and fifties and sixties, like it is very possible that you, even though no matter how healthy you might be, that you may need something like, excuse me, like a testosterone replacement therapy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of young men in their twenties and thirties who are doing it because they see people on podcasts talking about it who are in their forties and fifties, like the Joe Rogans or whatever it is. And they're like, Oh, I want to do that too. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the first thing is like, you never want to like people think that the the pharmaceutical route is the shortcut mm-hmm. and they, they think that the natural route is the long cut the natural route may take more effort time energy etc on the outset but if you're going to go into the pharma route and you think it's a shortcut number one you're going to have to do it for the rest of your life that's how, mm-hmm. that's how they work you know if you start taking finasteride for your hair minoxidil or tadafil you know all these sort of generic compounds like you're going to have to do it for a really long time probably the rest of your life so you want to be mindful of that it's a choice that you make and there's always negative externalities from taking pharmaceutical drugs um sure. but you know the reality is um you know being in in like being mindful of what you eat is important because that's the stuff that you're putting in your body it's the biggest variable every day being mindful of your water intake and like, you know, filtering it in some capacity is really important. Um, there are plenty of natural, um, you know, supplements and and herbs um, that you can take that support the baseline. Not, nothing is sort of like giving you more testosterone. That's not really how it works. You want to basically support the underlying um you know, uh, uh, amino acids and you know, protein synthesis that allows you to create more testosterone naturally. But you know, you have a lot of companies out there like Hims and Roman and, you know, they're pharmaceutical drug companies that are, that are, have a pretty branding and, and they have this sort of direct to consumer model where you don't have to go to a doctor to get a prescription for something. And, you know, look, I'm not a moralist, but like, I, I really believe that, you know, if you take care of yourself and you take care of your body and you have a great mental approach, then you can move through a lot of these issues naturally right? Without yeah. needing to, you know, Hey, I need a Viagra to get a heart on. Um, and, yeah, there's and, symptoms for a reason. The body is speaking to us. And, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate does a lot of work around the somatic responses of the body as mm. a result to our internal world or unprocessed emotions or, you know, um, mental health and how that shows up. So how yeah. often do we just fix the s- symptoms without actually tuning into the root causes? Like, Exactly, exactly. And, you know, part of it is there's a physiological part, which is like you have to get your body in a position so that you have good circulation, that you have lower amounts yeah. of 
right? Those are, so if you have less fat, you have less estrogen, fake estrogen in your body, which means that your testosterone won't be decimated so much. So that's the first thing. And then what are the other things that you can do from the mental side, you know, taking that approach, um, you know, and not having so much pressure around sexual experiences and whatnot. And, you know, mental pressure on themselves to perform. (laughs) (laughs) They've been entrained by, you know, watching the Olympics um, on, on, you know, their computer screens. But um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I truly feel that, and I see this in my, in my office all the time too. There's like a enmeshment of our sexuality with, with our partners, as in like this, um, they're supposed to get me off or I'm supposed to be a lover that takes responsibility for their orgasm or their pleasure. And rather than us taking responsibility for our own experiences and pleasure that causes us to get almost like, yeah, tangled in in each other's stage fright, there's anxiety, there's, you know, and, and what it really comes down to, you know, Kat is like, is, is communication and, you know, really, really, um, allowing yourself to communicate your needs, your hesitations, your fears, whatever those might be. Um, and depressurizing the sexual experience, you know, of like, you know, and as a man, like, I I talk about this a lot, like the, the art of learning how to pleasure a woman, like it's a very complicated thing to do. You know what I mean? It's not like an innate (laughs) skill that we're just born with. Like, Oh, we know how to do this thing. Like, yes, we know functionally the movement, but mm-hmm. really connecting with a woman and reading the, the the body language and the signs and the breathing and all this sort of stuff, like it takes time and it takes patience yeah. to listen. And you have to, you usually have to go through a lot of situations where you don't really know what's going on and you're sort of adapting and adjusting, but um, you know, it's a skill that needs to be developed. You know, if you want to be, you know, confident in it and good at it so that that confidence doesn't, you know, a lack of confidence can sometimes create the performance anxiety, you know, sure. or like that pressure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. And even just teaching us all to, again, take responsibility for our pleasure and communicating what it is that we need. So the person can meet us in the way place that we, that we need versus expecting them to just know. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. I'm yeah. So you and I had had a conversation last week. Um, when we were laying out in the sun, I was getting, trying to get tan <laughs> and the one sunshine day that we had in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. Um, but you had, it, we were having this amazing conversation mm-hmm. around different cultures around the world and their solutions towards uh, sexual health, using plants, using herbs. And I was so fascinated with what you were sharing. Cause I'm, you know, I'm on this trajectory of sexual psychedelics and plant medicines. And, mm-hmm. and so to even hear from you, the medicines that different plants can provide us um, that the other cultures also found that sexual health was really important. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can share with our listeners some of, um, you know, some of what we talked about there, what your research found. Yeah. So, I mean, part of what's interesting is like, there's these, these um, systems of medicine, right. That are non Western um, traditional Chinese medicine, um, Ayurveda. Those are the oldest systems of medicine in the world. And in each region of the world, there are plants, herbs, spices, you know, trees that provide medicinal value, right? And so there's this ancient wisdom that we have on the planet. Um, depending on where you're from, I mean, in, in the United States, there's sort of the least amount of that. And it's obviously the newest culture. Um, but I mean, TCM has been around for traditional Chinese medicine has around for thousands of years, as well as Ayurveda. Um, and even in like South America, there's amazing, you know, plant medicine that comes from there, but also herbs and, you know, macuna and things like that. And in the Caribbean. So each area has their own, um, you know, uh, sort of like uh, local type stuff that's going to help them, right? Because like sexual yeah. function is, you know, it's been, it's something that's been impactful for a really long time. Everyone seems to be really interested in, right? Sexuality is so important and pervasive in our culture. Um mm. And so as you're researching these herbs and things like that, like you find that there are similar herbs that have similar types of um, effects across these different systems, but they're just in different places because they grow in different, you know, climates. Um, you know, the ashwagandha is the, and things like that are in, you know, in Ayurveda versus like the uh, castanch, which is sort of like a complement to that, but in the Chinese herbal, you know, realm or macuna. Wow. 
purians, um, you know, from South America or like the ones from Jamaica that I've recently discovered, like strong back and granny backbone. And I mean, they have some really amazing monkey ladder. They have these wild herbs that, you know, <laughs> in these places. And so you can really dive in and explore. And it's kind of fun because it, it's almost like res- figuring out which one resonates with you. You know, obviously some of them have much longer histories around them that they, you know, TCM and Ayurveda, both are sort of like the most, um, uh, sort of the longest traditions. But at the same time, like, you know, herbs are herbs and really powerful. A new one that's interesting that's come in is Fidosia agrestis, which I believe is from Africa, um, which helps um, to reduce SHBG, which is like, that's the thing about creating more available testosterone. Um, yeah, so my stuff is mostly TCM based. So it's based off of Chinese medicine. Um, but I do research and, you know, try products across the board. I love that. Yeah, it's developing these relationships with plants that have so many of their of these unique properties that you know it's creating a synergy with ourselves and and the world, the earth yeah. that I find really really important for us. The other thing too is remember is that every pharmaceutical drug has its origin for the most part in a plant. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they take out that they, they they take out a part of it and then they man, they manipulate it, but it's all coming from, from the earth in some capacity, you know what I mean? And so the, the herbal route is just that we don't really manipulate it. You take it out, you harvest it in the proper way, and then you blend it, right? The blending is really key, but pharmaceutical drugs, like they come from that, you know what I mean? And so they're all searching for the same stuff. And so when you find an herb and the, and the, and that really works and is effective, Generally, what happens is pharmaceutical company is like going to come in and try to like do as much work as they can to like uh, patent it into a drug. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. That's their model. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Profits. Yeah. How can we? How can we re- extract and make profit? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's so interesting to see the pressures in our culture, and it's not even just the American culture. I think this is across the world, and I and I am super interested of how this came about, but the the pressures of genitalia you know men and the bigness of their cock <laughs> we see advertisements for enlargement pills i've had clients bring in i think what was it called like rhino pills i think yeah. that was the one <laughs> yeah. um and i just I, i'm like reading the back of these ingredients and i'm like i don't even know what the fuck this thing is <laughs> but um to start this question of like why do you think that we there's so much sensitivity around the bigness of of our genitalia or our cock it's an age old question and it's a really really good question um i believe that a larger phallus just historically and throughout culture is seen as a sign of higher vitality. I think that's Mm -hmm. sort of like the basis, right? You have a lot of ancient cultures with statues and things like that, that, you know, where you'll see these large phalluses. Um, And this is sort of like in on more on the Eastern side in Asia and, and, and whatnot, for whatever reason, that has been sort of like the pervasiveness in our society um, that's continued. Um, you know, you look at like Greek and Roman statues and they have a lot of like flaccid penises that are, you know, designed and they're not really that big. And you don't know if they're growers or showers because they're made out of stone. But what's fascinating to me is like, when you bring it back to like to today, is it is it easier to please a woman if you have a bigger phallus? Probably, you know, like it's just maybe an easier avenue. Um, but there's a lot of energy and, and shaming and value and embarrassment and self-worth that men have with that part of their body. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, I don't necessarily have the best reason of why it is, but it's just sort of is, you know, and you know, when the locker room, if you're an athlete, when you're younger, it's like, you're taking showers and it's just part of it. Like everyone's naked and you're doing your thing. And you know, you, you know, you always know who, who's who, you know what I mean? You know, who is the guys with large penises and, you know, the guys that, you know, maybe they're growers instead of showers, you know? Um, but um, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And it's something where like, if men could just become more comfortable with what it is that they have and know how to use it really well, then it would become less. Yeah. At the same time, there are ways that you can support it you know, and, and there are ways that you can have a connection with it that like increases your value and like the worth that you have with it. You know what I mean? So a lot of it's 
the way that you feel about your body and about that particular part of your body. Um, and, you know, and like, we're all given different things. Some people are born attractive. Some people are born not attractive. Some people are guys are born with, you know, hung and some guys are not. Some guys are born with a lottery ticket for, you know, they've got trust funds and whatever. And some people are born dirt poor. It's, you know, it's just your lot. And so the self-acceptance piece is the most important. Um, but I think like yeah. having developing a better connection to it, I think is also critical as you're, as you get, you know, go on regardless yeah. of how big it is. Yeah. Yeah. So finding first the acceptance of, and then learning how to, to, yeah, develop that relationship or be with it or use it. Yeah. When you say grower versus shower, what are you talking about? Like how, oh. explain to our audience what you mean by that. Sure. So the male penis, um, when it's flaccid, um, it, it either is close to the size that it is when it's erect, or it's not close to the size that it is when it's erect. So for instance, uh, someone who's a, considered a grower, um, they might have a two inch long penis when it's flaccid, but when it's erect, it may be six or seven inches. Mm -hmm. um, so it has the capacity to grow. A shower is usually someone who, um, you know, if their penis is four or five inches when flaccid, it's maybe five and a half inches when it's erect. So it doesn't, it doesn't get that much bigger when it gets erect. Um, growers have more elastin in their penile tissue mm -hmm. uh, and showers have more collagen in their penile tissue. So the so collagen sort of, it creates that, that longer effect. So it looks fuller, whereas mm -hmm. elastin is what allows the growers to grow. And is that fixed or can somebody affect their, their length or girth or size? Um, the, you can increase your size when erect. Um, it's much more challenging for a grower to increase their size when flaccid. Um, but generally, if you're a grower or a shower, it's kind of, that's what you are. But mm -hmm. you can increase your size, both length and girth, um, when erect, even if you're sure. a shower or if you're a grower. Um, sure. So like what, what comes to my mind is, um, you know, pe penis pumps or people getting um, implants or, you know, doing things to elongate that. And I just don't, you know, implants and things, I'm always like, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> That's yeah. so dangerous. Uh -huh. uh, but like, is there natural ways that people can increase their, their growth or is uh, it yeah. just it? No, there, there are, um, you know, yeah, the, yeah. Injections and fillers and implants and whatnot. Like you're right. I don't, I don't think that those are really good ideas, um, for a variety <laughs> of reasons, but naturally speaking, like if you extend and manipulate and stretch the tissue of something, um, it's called mechanical creep, um, over a period of time, um, what happens is that skin becomes longer. Okay. And your skin is really the only part of the body that can do that. And then what happens after mechanical creep is something called biological creep. And biological creep is when new cells are developing in that new skin, in that new tissue. Mm -hmm. And so there are programs and protocols and sort of exercises that you can do where you're manipulating this, the, 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 the penis, right? There, you're bending, you're twisting, you're turning in a specific sort of style and format, obviously not too hard, but you're doing it over time. And that allows you to have a, a better connection with it because you're connecting with it in a non-masturbatory way. It's kind of like you're going to the gym, but you're doing stuff for your, for your cock. Um, and then the mm -hmm. second is you actually can expand the potential tissue, right? That's mm -hmm. available so that when you get an erection, you have more surface area. The more, more surface area of that erection, the larger it is. Um, mm -hmm. It's not like you're going to grow at five inches. That's not, that's not possible. But like an <laughs> inch, inch and a half, two inches, like over time, you, are, you can do it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I even hear practices that are you know, mindfulness practices of really developing this connection with your cock. And when you're doing these practices, because yeah. how often do men or, or really anybody, how often do we pay attention to our genitals and unless we're in sex or unless we're getting off, you know, in masturbation and, and um, how that's impacting our, our relationship with it or the functioning of, of, of our, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's, it's interesting. So like what I've sort of learned from, from all the, the guys that I've been working with is that like, there's two ways that men connect with their cock for the most part. Mm. One is masturbatory through usually through porn. Right. And so it's like, you know what you're going to do. You, you go do your thing, you're watching porn, you're masturbating, you release, you know, et cetera. The second is through an intimate experience. And 
normally what happens is if you're doing the masturbation to porn thing a lot, that is informing the way that you're doing your intimate experiences with a partner. Yeah. Right. And um, I would say in my experience as a general rule, like a lot of men have a very unhealthy relationship to masturbating to porn um, because it's doing a lot of other things that we can get into in a minute. But um, what I'm, what I'm advocating is actually like this third way, which is like, can you connect with your cock in a way that is not masturbatory and it's not with somebody else, but it's actually with yourself. And when you are doing these exercises, like you would, when you go to the gym, you go to yoga, Pilates, whatever it is, like you are developing a connection with it. That is, I mean, it's pretty wholesome. You know what I mean? Like, sure. There's a goal is that you want to increase the size, et cetera. But the reality is when, when I, I mean, I've doing, I've been doing these exercises for a long time. I do them regularly because it's just helpful for me, but you develop this connection that isn't either of the two. Right. And you can cultivate your sexual energy through those exercises. Um, and it creates this sort of third path, right? So I don't masturbate a lot. I don't really need to, and I, I don't watch porn and that's a whole other thing, but this is what I do to cultivate. Cause I think connecting with it is important. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. But if, if you're just going to use it through the masturbatory way, like that's one way, let's find another way to connect with it. That's, um, going to allow you to develop a more, um, I guess like spiritual could be used as a word with it you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like the physical and the spiritual together. Yeah. And so just to get clear on the definitions here, um, master, masturbation, what are you referring to when you say masturbation? Um, self-pleasure to ejaculation. Okay. To ejaculation. And, yeah. but you still believe in, in self-pleasure. Oh yeah. Self-pleasure. Cause these exercises, okay. I mean, they're exercises, they're, yeah. they're pleasure, but there isn't yeah. any release at the end when you, when you yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really important to put out there into the conversation and in, in the um, cultural climate around the no fat pra practice, you know, where people are telling them don't, don't do any sort of masturbation, you know, because that leaks out your energy. But uh, me as a sex educator, I think that can cause a lot of issues because people are taking that for dogma and not doing any sort of practices or self-pleasure they're just completely cutting off their conscious awareness to it i completely agree and it's a fascinating concept because you look at the whole scale right mm -hmm. some men who are very addicted to porn and masturbating um there is a period of time which is very 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 important for them to not play with themselves in that way mm -hmm. right to not watch porn to do a full reset you know, usually like 30, 60 or 90 days, depending on how bad your addiction is. Because um, if you want to change the connection to it, you have to stop in that way, right? Mm -hmm. After that period is over and they're sort of on this, you know, different path, at least this is in my experience, um, is that like you do need to regain the connection to it and in a, in a healthier way. And this is a really perfect way. So it's like after someone's done the NoFap thing, if they really needed that, um, A, also because it's like cool to, to, to complete something like that, you know, as mm -hmm. like, you know, you like feeling like you've done something you've accomplished, but then after that, well, well, then what do you do? Do you never masturbate ever again? Do you never play with yourself ever again? And I think that's where a lot of guys are like, you know, I'm nine months, no fat. I'm like, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that. You know, I don't think that that's yeah. good. I think that you need to be cultivating that energy and doing the exercises and doing the kegels and doing, you know, doing this sort of stuff so that that sexual energy remains potent for you. And it's not just like lying dormant, right? If you don't use yeah. it, lose it. So, but I, but I'm, I'm with you on that. And, and then, so you just have to figure out where that person is on their timeline and their spectrum, and then sort of apply those principles to, to get the best outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And so when it comes to porn, are you, there's a lot of controversy around the con about the concept of porn. Are you a no, absolutely no porn or what, what's your stand on, on, or in perspective around porn? Yeah. Um, so me personally, I don't watch porn. Yeah. Um, I haven't watched porn in nine years, but from the perspective of the guys that I work with and what I'm seeing in the world, I believe that there is a place for all of it, as long mm -hmm. as that person has a healthy relationship and connection to it. So yeah. for the guys that are watching it three or four times a day, masturbating, um, I'm, I'm a staunch, like no porn, no nothing. Yeah have to get you have to stop watching that and also um you know we were chatting about this the other day but like 
the the different sort of gradations of porn, right? And yeah. so in the most recent years, there's been much more sort of like intimate and erotic porn, which is not that sort of hard, fast sort of stuff that you'll that was traditionally seen as 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 porn. And so wherever someone's at, you know, um, you need to you need to figure out like okay, if this guy doesn't, if this guy has a real serious problem, we need to get them off entirely for a period of time so that, because it's, it's messing up their neuroplasticity in their brain. Um, it's messing up the way that they think that they should be performing in bed and things like that. Right. Porn that the hard kind is in my opinion is a bad teacher for those two reasons. Um, for people that have a healthier relationship with their sexuality and they don't have those addictions, there's that middle road, which, you know, is like the sort of the erotic intimate. It's, it seems like it's people that might actually know each other and, you know, connect with each other mm-hmm. in real life. And that can be really great for stimulating sexual spontaneity and arousal. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of the, you, you know, we talk about what are the, what's the the medium that's going to be the most intense on your brain and the most addictive to your brain. And that is the visual nature, the video nature of, of pornography, that sort of hardcore porn that is going to have the greatest and the fastest effect on the neuroplastic changes in your brain. And it's going to mess up the dopamine reward response pathway the most from there you have the, the more erotic. And then from there, you know, it's like, Remember, like you used to have Playboys, which is just a static image, right? That doesn't affect your neuroplasticity as much because you have to use your own imagination to create whatever is happening. Yeah, yeah. So I would say as a general rule, um, I see many, 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 many more people who probably would do without watching it at all. rather than, you know, like, Hey, I can watch the erotic stuff. But again, it's, it's, it's sort of a scale and it's a wave and also realizing like, you know, having, there's some, some people who don't have the opportunity to be intimate with, with people a lot. And so they don't have any connectivity at all. And they went in the sexual realm. And so there is an element of like really having compassion has been like, yeah, if, if there isn't anything that you're experiencing, then, you know, I get it. You, you might yeah. feel like you, you need to have some sort of connectivity to that and get that sexual energy going. So it, it's, it's complex, it's complex, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important to have all those layers too. None of these controversies, none of these conversations have a black or white answer. It's, you know, we bring all these pieces to the table and sometimes the best questions are answered with another question. Mm-hmm. It isn't a, you know, it, there isn't a definite truth with a capital T, yeah. um, but there is a lot of ethical porn directors out there. And um, I think make love, not porn.com is one where amateur, you know, people are taking videos yeah. of themselves or, um, what is that? OnlyFans has people, you know, where they're taking yeah. charge of their own sexuality and and, ex- and expression. So I think that there are, uh, yeah, it, it's like mindful consumption, you know, yeah. just like the food that we eat. Are we? How are we being mindful for what we yeah. consume there? How are we consuming this with more mindfulness too? Yeah. And also, you know, like, look, it's the oldest, what do they say? It's like the oldest, well, it's like I guess it's a prostitution is the oldest profession, but like porn <laughs> has been around forever. Naked yeah. images, naked statues, naked drawings. Like it's just, it's it's pervasive because sexuality is inherent to who we are. It is so mm-hmm. important. And so the more we repress it, societally and culturally and whatever it is, like the more people are going to find their little backdoor alleys and avenues to, to go and, and sort of like get off, so to speak. But if, the, but if we can actually like celebrate it more and like bring it into the forefront of culture in a way that's healthy, you're going to have much less issues and, and sort of um, dysfunction with it, you know, because it's going to be something that people are like, yes, like this is important. It's why we're all here. You know, mm-hmm. like someone had to have sex to have you, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just yeah. Like, yes. This had to happen. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. but I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a challenging thing to discuss. And you're right. The black and white thing is cool because there is no black and white. Everything is yeah. where someone's at. Right. 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 Okay. So I have a question from an audience member. I always put this out to, uh, to my audience on sex love yoga at Instagram. So I have one question that came back here for you. Uh, This person says, I hate swallowing because it just tastes weird. (laughs) Anything my dude can eat or do to make that better? Um, (laughs) I get that questions about pussies all the time. (laughs) So your overall, that's a great question. Your overall health and diet is going to affect the taste. 
That's number one. So if you're eating a healthy, clean diet, you're going to be better in general. Number two, cigarettes uh, and alcohol are, like make the taste less good. So if the if your man is smoking a lot or whatever it is, um, it's it's not ideal for for that part of the body. Um, the third thing is like uh, licorice root can be really good. Uh, cinnamon is really good, um, and uh, and pineapple is actually really good. Um, so he can incorporate those things into his diet, and that will help. But if you have like a really crappy diet and you're doing those other things, it's going to be hard to have semen that tastes good. Um, but you want to, but, but yeah, there are things that you can do, but it starts with like a looking at what you're eating in general, because that's going to affect, you know, the, the quality and the taste, but you can definitely change the taste. Um, and you can definitely change the quality. Um, your, your semen takes about 90 days to like fully recycle within your system. Um, but the seminal fluid is much quicker. I think it's like within a week, it like it regenerates. Oh. So, um, a lot of what you're tasting is the seminal fluid that comes in with you know, the semen is like sort of the sperm. Um, so yes, licorice, cinnamon, um, uh, pineapple are really good and they can do like cinnamon drops, licorice drops, there's herbs, things that you can get that would, that will support that. Yeah. Amazing. So here's to better tasting cum. <laughs> Yo, this was such a great conversation. I love oh, everything that we dove into. Yeah. How can they find out more about you and about your line of product, Natural Jackson? Yeah. So um, my website is naturaljackson.com and I have a TikTok, which is get natural Jackson, uh, as well as an Instagram. And uh, I'm coming out with an app soon where all my programs, courses, sort of everything non-physical uh, will be there. Um, and that will be, I'll you know have it on my link tree and my, uh, in my bios. So, yeah. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Kat. Well, that was fun. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. And if you want to experience more ecstasy and sexual liberation, head over to sexlovepsychedelics.com and learn about how you can join me for any one of my online or live events. And while you're there, grab my free guide on sex and psychedelics. Remember, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider and local law before pursuing any of the products or psychedelics discussed. And one final note here, I make this show specifically for you. If you're loving the show, then be sure to leave me a review in iTunes or Spotify to let me know. Happy to be here and happy to serve. I'll see you next time on Sex Love Psychedelics. <laughs>